So Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read the first four verses of scripture here, and then we'll just look at some background information on the book of Daniel, and also looking at Daniel himself. Very interesting book. It's going to be rich, man. I'm just so excited about this. It's going to really bless you. There are so many principles in here, practical for our daily lives, as well as important things as we prepare for the future as well. And so some very interesting uh, signs that we look for here in the, these passages about the times even we're going through right now. And uh, so I think it'll be a real help to you. So Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So it's interesting. Uh, of course, we know from our study in the past, as we've been going through the Old Testament, that uh, we're, at, we're at a stage right here where God is chastising Israel because of their disobedience to the Mosaic law, because they weren't following the Lord with all their heart. Uh, they were turning their hearts to idols and so forth. And so God sent Nebuchadnezzar to punish them by bringing them into captivity. And we're going to look at some detail about that today. So number one, understanding the history of the book of Daniel. Um, the book of Daniel, letter A, begins with the first deport, deportation of Israelites to Babylon after the first siege of Jerusalem in 606 B.C. And so what took place is, this is what usually happens when an enemy came into a country or into a place and wanted to take it over, they wouldn't necessarily just go and decimate it. They would go besiege it and cause them to surrender. And when they surrendered, they would have to pay tribute to that king that took it over. And so basically they're just going around and getting all these kingdoms to give them stuff, which is a pretty good deal. It makes them richer. Uh, they don't have to worry about redoing everything. And that's something I think even the United States have, has learned about Iraq and Afghanistan and so forth. When you go in there and you decimate a place, you've got to rebuild it. And that's a lot of money, a lot of time, and many times it doesn't work very well. And so Nebuchadnezzar was just happy to just go in there, besiege it, and then get them to pay them tribute. You know, just you follow our laws, give us your money, we'll be happy. But of course, that's not how it went for the children of Israel because they were rebels at heart. They weren't submitting to the chastisement of God, and so it had to go further than it needed to go. 606 B.C., is when that first siege took place. So Daniel was in that first deport, deportation, and that was about a year after uh, the, the sieging came the deporting. And so 605 BC is about when Daniel was actually taken to Babylon with the princes and so forth. And I have some pictures here. I'll show you the one. Uh, I guess you'll have to do that. This is them walking away from the, the, the city 
And then the next one is them coming into Babylon. And so you can imagine as they were approaching this city, you want to go to the next one there, Ben? Does it work? Oh, there you are. And so that's, you see that corridor, everybody would come into the city during that, through that same corridor. And the next one will give you a better picture of that. And so this is how Daniel would have entered in to Babylon, just in a magnificent city. In fact, they have uh, uh, museums that have rebuilt large portions of the walls of Babylon uh, with its uh, tapestry and its art and so forth. And it was very much like that with the same colors and different things. That's what Babylon would have looked like. And so it, it must have been quite awesome for them being deported and then brought into this huge, rich city under this enemy king. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 24, I'm going to read this to you as a little bit of background history here. Now, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months, and his mother's name was Nahushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. So he was very young when, he, when they besieged it. He, he, he thought he had it all together. He was probably a very cocky, very proud, wicked young king, and he thought he had it all together until all of a sudden, oops, here comes this enemy king and teaches him what it's all about. And, and so it says here, Nebuchadnezzar came into the, against the city and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And so during that first, or that de deportation, he actually took that king into captivity and he remained imprisoned until after Nebuchadnezzar um, died. And when his son took over, evil uh, Merodach, his name was, he only ruled for about two years after Nebuchadnezzar. During that time, he actually released Jehoiachin and actually gave him prominent positions of power uh, over his people. But he spent all that time in prison. But the Lord had, had touched the heart of that new king and allowed him to actually be free. And so I think the reason was because when he finally besieged it and told him to come out, he actually submitted and he actually came out with his family and said, okay, we give up, even though he was a wicked king. The Lord always responds to a humble heart. Always. No matter how wicked you've been, no matter how bad a person has been, when they humble themselves before the Lord, the Lord will always, every time, he will respond. That is the amazing thing about our God. If you're wondering if you've ever gone too far and you've messed up and what is God going to do, <laughs> all you can do, my friend, humble yourself before him. And I'll tell you when, you, when you humble yourself, then grace comes pouring in. And I think that's why the Lord blessed him in his later years, released him, and so forth after that. But he was several years in prison, which wasn't fun, I'm sure. Amen? And so Jehoiakim uh, was taken in the second siege in 598 B.C. as Nebuchadnezzar was seeking to squelch the rebellion he started. And so that's the thing. These, these kings, they start up these little rebellions, and so this king has to come in because, hey, you're paying me tribute. You're following my laws. I'm not going to put up with rebellion. 
uh, he was just doing what a king does. And he went to quash that rebellion, and that's what took place. So he wouldn't have come if they wouldn't have rebelled. Amen? And so Zedekiah, after that point, was placed instead. And now Zedekiah was actually related to Nebuchadnezzar, but they actually changed his name from a Babylonian name to a Hebrew name so that it would relate more to the Hebrews at that time. But even Zedekiah, who wasn't even Hebrew, guess what? He rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) The power went to his head. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar came back and destroyed Jerusalem. All right, he wouldn't listen to the prophets either. So, um, let's see here. So when it first began, the first siege, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't actually the king. His dad was the king. Now, but his dad died within the first couple of years of that siege, and Nebuchadnezzar went back to be crowned king and then came back again to finish the job. So actually, Nebuchadnezzar only became king during the siege of Jerusalem. But yet he was doing all the work here. His father isn't even in the picture. And so, uh, letter B, the conquering of Israel by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would usher in the era, era called the times of the Gentiles. So this, we're getting to prophetic truth here. Um, times of the Gentiles, Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. It says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, Jesus is talking about this second destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, which was in AD 70. But that's how long they've been already in this time of the Gentiles, where, where Israel is no longer a ruling nation. They do not have influence over the world scene. They are not an empire uh, they are simply, they, it's just been stripped away from them. And that's what we're going to see in Daniel. There's going to be four world empires that are going to rise during the times of the Gentiles where Israel is going to constantly be under their thumb. <laughs> All right. Then, of course, the church age comes in and still Israel, even though they've been brought back to their land, 1948, they signed that agreement. They gave Israel their land back, which if you think about it, since the time of Nebuchadnezzar, that has never happened. So 1948, in our lifetime, or before some of us, amen? <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't alive in 1948. But, you know, during our, our family, our, our fathers, our grandfather's time, they actually got their land back. But you know what? It's still the time of the Gentiles. Why? Because Israel is not a ruling nation. They are still under the thumb of the political maneuvering of this world. And that's the interesting thing about the empire or the, uh, the beast that the Bible talks about during this time. It's not as defined as maybe Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, where you have a ruler, you have an empire, you have one guy calling the shots. We're living in a very unique time where the Lord just took away the dictatorship type of government and actually spread that Roman Empire out throughout the world. And that's what it talks about with the ten toes and the mixed with clay. It's weak, but at the same time, it's still fierce. But it's, that's during right, our time right now, during the church age. Amen? So that's why we don't have one world empire dictating to us. I mean... 
there, there's some that would like to make that happen. And by the way, they, they're trying to make it happen with the globalist agenda. You're seeing it all the time. You're seeing these rulers trying to get it all rolling. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to work until the church is gone. We have too much of a spiritual influence on this planet. They cannot globalize. Only when we get removed, that's when the globalization will take place under the Antichrist. Amen? And so just think about that. We're living in very precarious times. Amen? It's, it's quite interesting. And so um, there's no world empire at this time, but we are now in the combination of all empires. The, we, we are in this time where all of the empires that have existed, there are characteristics of them throughout this world. But not one of them is calling the shots. But the, it's this wild beast that we have in our government. It, it, you can't put your finger on it, but you can just sense that it's there. And the devil's using it to push his agenda forward. Amen? But it's not like a world empire type of setting like it was with the first four empires, first three. Uh, letter C, Israel would be under Gentile dominion until the time when the Messiah would be anointed king. And so when Jesus comes and he gets anointed, that's when the time of the Gentiles is over because then Israel will now become a ruling nation. They will become the empire. Amen? With Jesus as the king. So what all these guys were trying to become, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, all these kings that were trying to rise up and become the big honcho, they were all aiming at what Jesus Christ will get. And that is to rule this world with a single empire and Israel will be that ruling nation. Amen. And if you don't like Israel too bad, you better get used to it because they will be there and he'll be ruling from within the boundaries of Israel. But in Daniel 9.24, we see that connected to the context of the 70 weeks prophecy that we'll look at as we study the book of Daniel. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people this is Israel, and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So that vision, what it's telling Daniel is, 70 weeks will transpire, and at the end of that 70 weeks, the Messiah will be anointed. That is the fabulous truth about the book of Daniel. It's laying out a prophetic timetable for the rest of world history till Jesus Christ comes again. And that's the powerful thing about this book. Amen. It's going to be interesting looking at this. Uh, we'll get more of that as we go through here. Letter D, the book of Daniel has a major theme of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty, I'll let you look at that a little bit, that word, <laughs> spell that. It's hard to just get that by memory. Sovereignty. Daniel reveals God's control over history and current events. So when we read the book of Daniel, what it's going to help us understand is, you know what? There is nothing out of God's control. He is in complete control of what's going on right now. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He has got the final say it's all going to be okay. Amen. What a wonderful truth that is. Daniel chapter 2, verse number 20, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. 
He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Amen. What a great truth that is. And so that's the kind of thing we see throughout the book of Daniel. Letter E, the book of Revelation and other books in the New Testament cannot be interpreted correctly without an understanding of Daniel's prophecy. All right? That's why when I talk to people and they start piping off about prophecy, the first thing I ask them is, tell me about Daniel. And if they say, well, I don't know, then I'm saying, get back to the drawing board, buddy, because you're missing a big piece of what you're supposed to know here. If you don't understand Daniel, don't even start talking about the rapture. Don't even start talking about the tribulation period. Amen. All that is is a bunch of hoopla. It's a bunch of people that want to say, ooh, ah, look at what's going to happen. Folks, this isn't about ooh and aahing here. This is about a plan that God has put in place from the foundation of the world, and he has clearly laid out uh, way back hundreds of years before even Jesus came on the scene, it was already laid out. Amen. And so we got to be very careful that we don't miss this powerful truth that we need Daniel to understand prophetic events of the of the future in Daniel chapter 12 verse number four it says but thou O Daniel shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased that's a pretty powerful verse many shall run to and fro I was looking on I think it was a, um, a video I was watching and they were showing all of the air traffic at one particular time during the day. And I was blown away <laughs> by all of these crisscrossing of airlines. It's just, it's phenomenal how many to and fro's are happening every day. If you'd be looking from God's perspective, that's why he said they'll be going to and fro. Folks, they're going to and fro throughout the whole earth every day. It's amazing what the, the things that are happening these days. And so also it says, and knowledge shall be increased. You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean man's getting smarter. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't mean that man has somehow become more enlightened. In fact, we're becoming dumber and dumber. You know what the thing is? Is that we've accumulated more knowledge. It's kind of like when a person, you know, first invented the cart and started pulling it on the ground said, well, it's great to hold things, but I wish it would be easier to pull. <laughs> so someone came up with an axle and a wheel, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's better. So what happens is you've had somebody invent these things, and now it's accumulated to your knowledge. The guy that invented the wheel didn't have to worry about the carriage, you understand. And as we go on, what we're doing basically is we're, we're acting upon knowledge that's been accumulated throughout the centuries, and a lot of it even within the last century. Amen? But like I said, it doesn't mean that we're smarter. <laughs> I really don't think that's true. There are some smart people out there, but basically our, the biggest attribute to the fact of knowledge increasing is the fact that much time has taken place where we have accumulated much knowledge since the beginning. Amen? And uh, so it's interesting. Letter F. Material from every chapter of Daniel is quoted in Revelation. So the book of Revelation is quoting Daniel 
Every aspect of Daniel has been requoted in the book of Revelation, so they are connected very intrinsically here. Letter G, great comfort and assurance that Christ will come to destroy the kingdoms of this world and set up his everlasting kingdom. That's what this book's going to do for you. It's going to bring you great comfort and assurance. I like these verses here. Uh, now, some of these things Daniel is saying. Some of these things the kings are saying. Wicked kings that believed in worshiping false idols, God changed their mind. Amen. Listen to this. Daniel 2, this is Daniel talking. And the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof Sure. Amen. I mean, that brings you comfort. You look at all these guys, all these power players out there, and they are big shots, and they got all their plans. Let me tell you something. When that rock comes off of that mountain, <laughs> they are done. It is demolished. They are finished. They'll have nothing left. All that will be left is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. And it will never be destroyed. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27 Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness. This isn't the right passage. Sorry, I got the wrong one there. Let's go to Daniel 6, 26. I make a decree. This is a king talking here, a king that has been touched by God, that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. Yeah, he got it. <laughs> he figured out, you know what? I figured out just how finite I really am and how infinite God truly is. Amen. In Daniel 7 verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Amen. Daniel 7 verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's us, by the way. Whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And then finally in Daniel 12, verse number 7, it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which is upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Amen. Boy, Daniel is going to bring us confidence, assurance, and comfort that no matter how bad things look, the end is sure. Jesus Christ will set up his kingdom, and we are going to share that kingdom with him 
and he will rule forever. Amen? That is a great truth from the book of Daniel. Now, number two, let's look at understanding the prophet Daniel. Letter A, Daniel was a major prophet. We talked about that last week or the week before. He was a major writing prophet. Writing prophet. So in the Old Testament, you'd have prophets that wouldn't write. They would just prophesy. They'd go out and say things, and the Lord later would use different writers to write down what they said. But Daniel was not only a prophetic prophet where he would say things and get visions, he would also be the man that actually wrote them down as the inspired word of God. Amen? So he was a writing prophet as well. So the book of Daniel is looked at as one of the most organized books of the Bible. His great wisdom can be seen in how this book was written and how it was organized. It's just a wonderful thing. When you start reading through it as a preacher, you start going through the chapter 1, it's like the, the, the messages outline themselves. It's powerful. Chapter 2, chapter 3, it just, it just, <laughs> he just knew how to put it down. The Lord gave him great wisdom to do that. Uh, letter B, Daniel's name means God is my judge. Or God is judge. This is a fitting name for a prophet at this time. Since Judah is experiencing judgment due to their sin and their unbelief. And so he's saying, you know what? God will judge all of this. What he says goes. Amen. Letter C, Daniel was a prince. Verse number three, it says, And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, and of the princes. The word prince, in the Chaldean sense, means someone that is important. They're from an important family. So it's not necessarily true that Daniel was of the kingly line, or of the line of David. Now, nobody really knows that. It doesn't say, amen. He could have been. But all we know is Daniel was a prince. He was a very important man, a young man in a very important family that was educated, that knew, was taught. Uh, even back in Israel, he was of a, of a high estate there. And those are the ones that the king drew from because he wanted to use them to, to influence the culture of Israel. All right? And so these, there are three groups of people that were brought to Babylon in this first deportation the children of Israel, the king's seed, and princes. All right? So the king's seed would be someone directly in the royal lineage of David. All right? Princes would be anybody that is of an important ruling or governing family within Israel. All right? Letter D, Daniel was taken captive to Babylon in the first of the three sieges by Nebuchadnezzar. We already looked at this. But I just want to give you a little breakdown here. <clears throat> the first siege was 606 BC. And so um, it, was a, it was a year later, 605 BC, that a delegate of prisoners would de was deported to Babylon. We saw that in Daniel chapter one, or chapter 1, verse 1. The second siege was 596 BC. And this isn't in your notes. I didn't want to put it all in there. In response to Jehoiakim's rebellion... He was at that time 25 years old and would be in prison in Babylon and many more would be deported at this time, including a very famous prophet by the name of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel was actually deported in that second deportation. 
And we see that, uh, I don't know, I think I have a scripture coming up here. I'll have to wait on that. Um, let's move on. Yeah, Ezekiel 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, so right at the beginning of Ezekiel, first verse it says, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. So Ezekiel was brought captive, and when he was brought close to the countryside in Babylon there by the river, he began to see the visions that God was opening up to him. So that was in the land of Babylon. But like I said, Daniel would be a prophet within the city of Babylon, while Ezekiel would be a prophet in the countryside of Babylon. And so he'd always be along within the country, and Daniel would stay in the city. And so that's who God set up through these two captivities, all right? Uh, So the third visit was 586 B.C. to destroy Jerusalem in response to Zedekiah's rebellion. The land of Judah was divided among the poor to maintain. So what what Nebuchadnezzar did is he, he didn't take everybody. He left the poor people. You say, well, that'd be great. Well, it would have been. But the thing is, he also left them with famine. <laughs> and so they were dying. So he, they, they were given the land, and he divided it among the poor. But at the same time, they didn't have the means and resources to feed themselves at this point. And so many people would die. It was a horrible time. It was miserable. Uh, they were very poor and so forth. But that's exactly uh, what took place. And... Um, So the following years in Judah would be marked by famine and misery. And so you kind of say, okay, which is a better place to be? I read this morning, or was it yesterday, in uh, 2 Kings about the lepers and how that uh, they they were sitting by the gate. They said, well, if we go in, we die. If we sit here, we die. Why don't we go to the enemy? (laughs) You know, they might feed us. And if they don't, so what? We'll die. <laughs> We're going to die wherever we are. And so interesting because they went there and God had scared off the army and they went and had themselves a feast. They went into one tent, found all the gold and the clothes and the food that they needed. And so they went and hid that and then went back to the second tent. Can you imagine how many tents there were? They only, they only started on two tents and they had everything they could possibly want. And then they started feeling guilty you know what, all of our people back in Jerusalem are dying and so forth, so maybe we should go tell them. They said, uh, <laughs> you know, but they did. They went and told them, and they came, and that's when uh, that prophecy was, was, uh, was come to pass about how that the food would be sold for a penny in the streets and so forth and things like that. Amen. Anyways, letter E. Daniel was made a eunuch, was made a eunuch. Now, the first thing I want to share with you about this is Isaiah, he prophesied that Judah's sons would be eunuchs in Babylon. And so Isaiah 39, verse 6, it says this. And now this is hundreds of years before Babylon destroyed Israel. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon and nothing shall be left. And I don't have the whole passage here. I should have been more careful. That happens every now and then. It's 39, verse number 6. Then it goes to say in verse number 7, And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, 
shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's a prophecy. And that prophecy came true with Daniel. So Daniel was a fulfillment of that. Now also another important point to bring out about this is that Jesus taught concerning eunuchs. You wonder, why would Jesus teach on that? Well, so we'd understand it. Amen? And so Matthew chapter 19, it says this, verse number 10. His disciples say unto him, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. So the Lord was laying down the guidelines of marriage. And it seemed so strict to the disciples, they said, well, maybe it's just better that we don't marry. Amen. That Jesus comes back and explains some things to them. He says, But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. That we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that are those that have the gift of singleness. They don't need to get married. And that's a gift that the Lord gives them. But the Lord says, Not all can receive it. Only they to whom it is given. That the Lord gives that ability to be single. Then it goes on to say, For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, which would be Daniel, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now what we're talking about here is simply living a life of chastity, living a life without being married. Amen? Living a single life. That's what the Lord's perspective is in relation to someone that uh, chooses for themselves. But for Daniel, it was a slightly different thing. Because when an enemy king took over and made you a eunuch, that made it impossible for you to have a relationship with a wife. Which was a very tough thing. But that's Daniel and all his friends were put in that position because they had one specific purpose that the king of Babylon wanted to accomplish with their lives. You know, so their lives were no longer their own. They could no longer just choose to have a wife and have a family and and things like that. So number two, or the lastly, not number two, number three. Daniel submitted to God's purpose in his suffering. He did not become bitter at his captivity, though it was a terrible trial for his life. We can learn a lot from Daniel. Nobody would like to be in the position that Daniel was placed into. But yet, you know what Daniel did? He says, no matter what situation I've been placed into, I am going to serve God with all of my heart and trust him. And so, you know what? This is what I've been trying to touch for the last few months already about submitting to God's purpose in your suffering. It's so important. The way you handle your suffering will take you out of the will of God or the way that you handle your suffering will make you a true light within the will of God for your life. Amen? It's so important that we see that very central truth of Scripture. It's just throughout all these characters of the Bible, they all got a hold of that from Joseph, Daniel, Jeremiah, you name it. They all understood suffering isn't the end of my plight here. It's a part of it. And it's a part that I have to embrace and I have to accept and allow God to do in my life. Amen? Uh, letter F, Daniel 
was young, one of the many young Jews chosen to learn the Chaldean language and culture. In Daniel 1 verse 4, it says, Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So Daniel, probably some people have said he was 15, 16. Others have said he was probably more like 19 years old when he was taken captive. But whatever, he was young. Amen. And so at this age of 19 or 16, whatever it was, Daniel was a man of great conviction. The Lord would set him up as a prophet, and his, his uh, span of being a prophet would span his whole lifetime and the whole of the 70-year captivity that God had determined to be upon Israel. In fact, it was only the first year of Cyrus. Remember, Cyrus was the king that was going to make the decree that Israel could go back to Jerusalem. The first year of Cyrus... That's when Daniel died. So it's amazing the time span <laughs> that Daniel lived uh, as a prophet here. So the goal was that the culture and the language of Babylon would further infiltrate the Israelite. It is important to note this because of the convictions of Daniel and others like him. Babylon was far more influenced by Israel then Israel was influenced by Babylon. Do you understand why it's important to have convictions? We're living in a day where the world will influence you or you will influence those in the world. And the difference of what is going to happen, which way it's going to go, is going to be completely based on your convictions. No convictions the world is going to roll over you. And you're going to begin to talk like the Babylonians. <laughs> you're going to act like the Babylonians. Your children will become Babylonian. <laughs> Amen. You understand what I'm saying there? If we have convictions, those that are trying to roll over us, we will influence them to be Christians. We will influence them to talk like Christ, to act like Christ to be like Christ, amen, as we give them the gospel. That's why Daniel was chosen. God knew this young man is a man of conviction, and I'm going to put him right in the den with the lion, literally. I'm going to put him right in, the, right in the place of the greatest influence of evil that a person could ever face. And guess what? He turned the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was saved. Wicked king. In fact, a couple of chapters up, <clears throat> you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar building a gold statue to himself, saying, everybody pray to me. <laughs> you know, this man was totally given over to idolatry, thinking that he himself is a god, like most leaders did back then, all the way up to the Roman Empire. Amen? But he came to himself. We're going to look at that story, how at the end of that, he's going to say, you know what? You are God. You are God. And he's going to make a profession of faith. Amen? Powerful. So <clears throat> think about this. Your convictions, it's going to be the difference between you influencing them or them 
influencing you. And yes, the world will think that you've gone too far. Yes, they'll say, hey, why don't you just give in? Why, don't, why are you making it so hard for yourself? Daniel stood his ground, did not compromise, and God used him in powerful ways. Amen. We're going to see that through, as we go through uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, letter G, Daniel would be an influence to three major kings. Now, there are more kings involved here, but three major ones. Uh, number one is Nebuchadnezzar. And we see in verse 48 of chapter 2, it says, Then the king made Daniel a great man, and gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. <laughs> Powerful. Why? He was a man of conviction. Because he stood by the truth. Even Nebuchadnezzar exalted him. God used Nebuchadnezzar to exalt him to the highest position he could have. After Nebuchadnezzar, evil Merodach came and ruled for two years. That's when Jehoiachin was released from the prison and was given a place as well of ruling and so forth. And he had a wonderful life. He finished off his life in ease instead of in the prison. And then you had Belshazzar. Belshazzar was actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And I know in the scripture it talks about Nebuchadnezzar being his father. But sometimes they would use the word father also refer to their grandfather. Amen. And his, his dad, Belshazzar's dad, was actually at a different place campaigning in the world while Belshazzar was holding the fort back in Babylon. And that's when he was killed when the hand was writing on the wall and so forth. We'll look at that later. But those two kings are, are minor. First one was Nebuchadnezzar. Second one was Darius the Mede. Um, Daniel 5 verse 30 it says... In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldean, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. He was the king that, that was, had an affinity with Cyrus, the Persian, the Medes and the Persians. Those two uh, countries joined together, and they're the ones that defeated Babylon. And so Darius was the first one to take power in Babylon, and later on, Cyrus would take power. All right, so Darius the Mede, and he was the one that sent Daniel to the lion's den, Darius. Number three, <clears throat> you had Cyrus and the Persian kingdom, and you see early on in chapter 1, verse 21, it says, and Daniel continued unto the first year of King Cyrus. After that, he was done. Amen. Can you imagine his history? Wow. His final thing was to discover Seventy years are determined. We're getting close to the end. He called out to God, confessing the sins of his people. He told everybody, hey, this is what's happening. And the Lord took him out. Now you guys take it from here. Amen. Boy, what a, what a history. What, a, what, a, what a, a career that Daniel had. It wasn't one of his choosing. But it was a fantastic one, one that lives to this day and one that we can see uh, wonderful things through, through his life. Letter H, uh, Daniel was given great wisdom from God to accomplish God's purpose and made master of all those that were wise men in Babylon. And so I'm going to read you some scriptures here and then we'll be done. Daniel 1.17 as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
in verse 19, it says, And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were, were all in all his realm. Powerful. Ten times. In other words, he says, these guys are not expendable. <laughs> Amen. Daniel chapter 4, verse number 9. Daniel's name was changed to Belshazzar by Nebuchadnezzar. It says, O Belshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Now, this king, he sure don't get it. <laughs> you know, there is no gods in him. Uh, there's only one God. But all he knew is whatever Daniel had was phenomenal. And he could not put his finger on it. He says, all I know is you've got the answer, son. That's it, <laughs> you know. And so quite something. In Daniel 5, verse number 11, There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and the day of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And so they're telling him, Belshazzar, about this great wise man, that he should have known that he had at his disposal, but he was way too busy being a fool and being drunk and partying. He didn't even understand the great man of God that was in his presence. But I'll tell you something, when he needed to know what that writing on the wall was, how are we going to find this out? Everybody knew Daniel. Daniel. Amen. This man was phenomenal in the kingdom. Can you imagine? There was one man that had this type of reputation even in Canada. There's no such a man. You can say, oh, that guy's smart, but not, not a man like Daniel. <laughs> you know. And this man had that type of reputation that all the kings respected him in powerful, powerful ways. Anyways, that's a little bit of the background of Daniel I wanted to give to you before we really get into the text. And hopefully that lays out a nice, nice understanding of what we're getting into here. Amen? Amen. Let's bow right.